Welcome back to 444.com's The Most Accurate Podcast. I'm Anthony Stalter. I'm your co-host today, and joining me as always is 444.com Senior Editor John Paulson. We did it, John. We've reached week one. Last night, the Chiefs and the Patriots gave us a thrilling opener, and we finally have regular season fantasy football to talk about. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Would you call it thrilling, though? It was a, it was a 15-point win for the Chiefs. That's so. true. They kind of blew them out, didn't they? They had Marky Mark Wahlberg uh, talking about how great the franchise is and how they're in a dynasty and just Which really made just me sick. basking in the uh, – yeah, I, I tweeted out, this is excruciating. Just that's all I've tweeted. And I got a few people that knew what I was talking about. Uh, but, you know, they, they had the right to uh, to bask in the glory of their uh, their comeback in the Super Bowl. And it's just, it's just ad nauseum now with the Patriots uh, being so good for so long. Everybody hates them. Well, that's true. But we'll dive into their loss. And it was good to see him lose last <laughs> night uh, in a second here. But tell us about the music that brought us in. Uh, yeah, this is a repeat uh, uh, guest on our podcast, guest music on the podcast, uh, J. Roddy Walston and the Business. It looks like they're coming out with a new album uh, this year. They've released a few singles. It looks like they're uh, releasing a few songs ahead of their album. But uh, this track is uh, Heavy Bells uh, from their 2013 album, Essential Tremors. It's the opening track off of that uh of that album and uh, anthony i think you're gonna like this one it really does punch you in the face you used to tell me that you like music that punches you in the face and <laughs> this song does uh, does do that towards the middle of the song so excellent enjoy. good that's i did use the, that exact term too i want to be punched in the face with my music so that's good a lot a lot of anger in my my ipod uh thursday night football will break that down we'll talk about just uh, an unbelievable performance by a couple of chief chiefs players and just look at the Patriots' defense because that was nasty last night. We'll also discuss about uh, discuss Odell Beckham. His Week One status continues to be up in the air. Ezekiel Elliott he's going to play in Week One despite his suspension being upheld. We'll talk about him, and then one of my favorite aspects of our Friday podcast. We'll hand out some sneaky starts. John's got some candidates for you that we'll discuss a little bit later on in the podcast. Let's talk about Kareem Hunt though. What a performance last night by the rookie. So. Al Michaels mentioned this during the broadcast. He had not fumbled in his entire collegiate career. And then on his first NFL carry, he winds up putting it on the ground. But the Chiefs stick with him. He finished with 17 carries, 148 yards, and a touchdown. He also added five catches for 98 yards and two touchdowns in the passing game. It was an unbelievable uh, opening performance by Kareem Hunt. This kid's talented, John. Yeah, he really is. I, I went back and uh, looked at my uh, draft rankings for him, and he 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 really climbed the rankings uh, very quickly there after the Spencer Ware uh, injury. He landed at number ten in my rankings in standard, number twelve in PPR. And I don't say that to like brag that I'm the highest on him. I'm not the highest on him uh, in, our, in our draft rankings, but I am pretty high on him. Uh, just goes to show you that third round that we've been talking about all summer. Um, just how thin it was uh, and dicey it was, especially at the running back position. You have all these uh, these rookies. Uh, Hunt emerged from that group because of his uh, lack of competition there. I mean, Kendrick West is okay, but he's just a guy. If you look at the other guys that are going in the third round, 
Uh, Leonard Fournette probably should be, you know, should be fine uh, with TJ Yeldon and Chris Ivory there, but that's not a very good offense compared to what the Chiefs are able to do. Uh, Dalvin Cook uh, is emerging as the RB1 in, in Minnesota, but that offensive line had a lot of tr- uh, problems running the ball or opening up holes for the running backs last year. He's got Latavius Murray, uh, Jarek McKinnon, he's dealing with uh, there. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, his role is pretty certain uh you know he's going to be the pass catching back there but uh, you're expecting Jonathan Stewart to to probably lead that backfield in uh in carries uh Joe Mixon's dealing with uh Jeremy Hill he's not even the starter right now Mixon uh Jeremy Hill and uh Giovanni Bernard are pretty good I mean Hill I think Bernard's better than Hill uh but Hill's actually starting he's probably going to be you know rushing for touchdowns the goal line back there so the guys that you're comparing him with, especially in that rookie, you know, Lamar Miller, uh, if you start getting into Isaiah Crowell, it just looked like Hunt was most set up, best set up for success, uh, in a, an Andy Reid offense. Uh, Casey's running back has, uh, always been a, a pretty good fantasy bet. So it was that way with Jamal Charles and Spencer Ware after that. And now Hunt has the backfield pretty much to himself. I mean, I was expecting West to touch the ball a few more times than he did, especially after the fumble. Uh, but Andy Reid's smart enough to to realize that Hunt's not a fumbler. He didn't fumble in college and uh, went right back to him. And the, the thing that was surprising to me, other than just the fact that Turkandrick West barely touched the ball, was that Hunt was so involved in the passing game. Five catches, 98 yards, two touchdowns. Obviously, a lot of that came on the 78-yard touchdown. But the fact that he could run that route and catch that ball, you know, he would have four for 20 and a touchdown without that without that catch. And that's more typical of a Kansas city uh, running back, but the fact that hunt can stretch a field like that and make that play and Alan and Alex Smith, maybe feeling the heat a little bit, uh, <laughs> at, uh, he's taken some shots now, uh, going downfield, uh, to Tyree kill. And we'll talk a little bit more about Alex Smith right now, but in, in a little bit, but, um, it's, it's a different offense and they were really aggressive against a shaky, uh, Patriots defense and hunt really capitalized. That was kind of my biggest question coming out of last night. Okay, dude, is this a reboot of Alex Smith? Are we seeing a different guy? Because there were some reports coming out of Kansas City that Alex Smith is throwing downfield more in practice because he feels the the pressure of Patrick Mahomes, who, of course, the Chiefs traded up for in April's draft. Mahomes got a big arm, and he's somebody that's going to push the ball downfield a lot. Maybe Alex Smith decides, okay, I'm going to open things up, and he did last night. But I wonder if we'll see Alex Smith – regress back to what Alex Smith is, which is more of that game manager. And last night was more about the Patriots, who have no pass rush whatsoever. Matt Patricia, the defensive coordinator, doesn't blitz a lot. I think the Patriots will figure it out at some point because they're so smart. But, you know, I think we kind of learn more about the Patriots' defense than than Alex Smith. But regardless, Smith put on a, a show Three hundred and sixty-eight yards, four touchdowns, and John, you had him as one of your sneaky starts. Good, good call. Yeah, I wish we could uh, have previewed that had it had it come to fruition. But I, I thought that I was not expecting three hundred sixty-eight yards, four, four touchdowns for Alex Smith. Uh, he has averaged two hundred forty-seven yards and two touchdowns in his last two meetings with the Patriots. And the reason I kind of thought he would be a, a sneaky start this week was. Uh, because I was expecting the Patriots to be leading this game and, and Smith having to throw the ball more than um, than the Chiefs typically want to. Uh, and that usually results in fancy points. So uh, the fact that he did that all on his on 35 attempts is pretty incredible. I mean, he was over 10 yards per attempt. Uh, it's just a, it's a good sign for the entire offense. I, I don't know what we'll see 
uh, going forward with from this, but there's some good weapons there. Tyree Kilt, speaking of those weapons, Tyree Kilt, seven catches, 133 yards and a touchdown on eight targets. He limped off. I believe he had cramps later in the game, so it looks like the, he, he avoided any serious injury. Travis Kelsey didn't catch his first pass until right before halftime. He only finished with five catches for 40 yards. Uh, Albert Wilson, five catches on five targets. Uh, Chris Conley caught two passes for 43. Just before we move on to the Patriots' backfield, what, what was some of your bigger opinions on Casey's passing game? Well, there's some speed here. Just, you know, Conley's a, a fast guy. Uh, Albert Wilson's got 4.4 speed. Uh, Tyree Kill's obviously super fast. So some of this downfield stuff makes sense if you're uh, a more aggressive uh, Alex Smith, uh, maybe feeling the heat there from Mahomes. Uh, Kelsey, I'm not too worried about. He had the seven targets. They were, he'll get his catches. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll get him the ball, especially if Tyree Kill's able to post this type of a line when you're, when you're focused on taking Kelsey away, which I think the Patriots were, uh, the the Chiefs ran that little shovel pass to him a few times, so they are going to to feed him uh, even when he's not doing the most damage in, in a traditional passing game. So I'm not too worried about any of that. I think you know Kelsey uh, will will end up having a really good season. Um, I think this is just a situation where the Patriots were uh, more focused on him and the other the other uh, weapons. Hill and uh, Hunt really really killed him the, uh, offensively. One of the biggest question marks that we had heading into the fantasy year is how the Patriots were going to use their running backs. Rex Burkhead wound up starting last night, but then he gave right he gave away um, gave way to James White. Burkhead finished with three carries 15, for only 15 yards. He also caught a pass for eight. James White had 10 carries for 38 yards. He caught three passes for 30 yards. But Mike Gillisley stole the show. We figured he would be the goal line back, and he was. 15 carries, 45 yards, three touchdowns. And, uh, I mean, Mike Illesley, John, talk talk about him. Is he is he a legit RB2 moving forward? Well, yeah, I think he's taken over that LeGarrette Blunt role, which is what we initially expected when he was signed. Uh, we thought Burkhead might be that guy prior to the Gillisley signing. Um, but when Gillisley came in, you know, he had success last year as a goal line back. And, uh, it really just one, sometimes one plus one equals two. And that, that was the case here. Then he had the, uh, I think it was a hamstring injury. It kept him out of camp for a long time. Burkhead looked really good, uh, with Gillsley sign, uh, uh, sidelined. And then worry started to, to mount that maybe Burkhead was going to, to see more work and it'd be a, more of a timeshare between Gillsley and Burkhead, uh, as far as carrying the ball. But then, and then we get some, you get a, a beat writer saying, uh, he's expecting a big game for Burkhead. I don't remember who it was, uh, Burkhead and White. And then he said, well, watch, watch them to get tackled at the one three times and Gills or whatever. Gills, he's going to score the all, you know, three or four touchdowns. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, getting tackled at the one. It was, uh, two pass interferences, uh, drawn by, uh, Brandon Cooks. Uh, I think there was, uh, also like a, a holding call, uh, on Chris Hogan on a pass that, uh, I mean, they were already inside the five or ten yard line at that point. Uh, but as soon as uh, they get inside the five, it's all Gillisley. So that's a great sign for him. It, it means that he will have some of these multi touchdown games. Most games, he's probably going to find the end zone once. There might be a there might be a, a, a game where he has kind of a dud, you know, fifty or sixty yards rushing, and that's it. And doesn't score doesn't score because he had zero targets uh, yesterday, and that was a little bit worrisome. Um, James James White ten carries, thirty eight yards. Uh, he had three catches for 30 yards on five targets. He was more involved in the running game than I thought he was going to be. So uh, you look at Burkhead, three carries, 15 yards. He had one catch for eight eight yards. They did try to 
uh, get him uh, in a mismatch in the passing game a few times. He, he missed him on a uh, Brady missed him on a possible touchdown uh, early in the game. So he's going to have his games, especially if he's starting every game. I don't know if that's going to continue or if they're going to go back to Gillisley. Uh, Deion Lewis just two carries for nine yards, no targets. So what it looks like to me is uh, Gillisley and White uh, getting the majority of the touches. They're going to work in Burkhead, and if Gillisley's struggling to run the ball, then Burkhead's going to come in and and get a chance. He averaged five yards per carry. Gillisley only averaged three point zero yards per carry, but I looked at the ten carries that he had that were outside the um, Kansas City ten yard line, um, and he had ten carries for forty one yards, so four point one yards per carry on those. When you when you have all these carries around the goal line, it's really going to depress your yards per carry and, and make it look worse than it is. So I don't think the Patriots uh, are annoyed or upset with Gillisley's production uh, in the middle of the field. Let's talk about the Patriots passing game before we move on. Tom Brady right away missed uh, his tight end Dwayne Allen on the fir- on his first pass. Allen wound up being open, um, and it was kind of a, a, a showing a, a one one example of things to come. That Brady finished sixteen of thirty six, two hundred and sixty seven yards, no touchdowns. It wasn't a sharp Brady performance. I think Kansas City really drummed up the pass rush in the second half and got Brady off his game. So talk about Tom Brady, and then we'll move to some of his receivers. Yeah. He- you expected more from him. I mean, but you ended up with, th- you know, two pass interference penalties on Cooks. Those could have been touchdowns. We had a uh, Rob Gronkowski near catch that could have, should have been a touchdown. Um, so this easily could have been 267 and three or 303 or two uh, touchdowns had, had things uh, broken his way, but they didn't. They broke uh, Mike Gillisley's way. Uh, and I, I'm not too worried about Brady. I mean, he had the 7.4 or 7.5. A 7.4 yards per attempt. That's not too bad. I mean, I, I, this is not like uh, hit the panic button on Tom Brady or anything like that. They do have to sort of deal with what's going on with their injuries to the receivers. We can talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Well, let's, yeah, let's dive into this because I thought the, the bigger question, uh, you know, facing the Patriots is who is going to benefit from Julian Edelman's season ending injury. I thought going into it that it was Danny, it was going to be Danny Amendola because he fits more of that role uh, than a Chris Hogan who emerged last year as more of a deep threat. So who was it? It, it was really Danny Amendola. It was six, six catches on seven targets for a hundred yards. I thought it was interesting, John, and maybe I'm looking too much into this, but Tom Brady and, and Danny Amendola came out together when they emerged right from the tunnels. And it was like, okay, let's do this. Amendola winds up suffering a concussion, so he capped his day off. Uh, Brandon Cooks, three catches for 88 yards, and then Chris Hogan only had one catch for, for eight yards, and, and strangely had three carries for 17 yards. Talk about Danny Amendola's role, and then any concern about Gronkowski, or is it just Eric Berry shutting him down for a night? Yeah, I think this was just an off night for, for Gronk. He had six targets, uh, almost had a touchdown. I think we'd be looking at it. Uh, the, the evening a lot differently if he had that touchdown. Um, but uh, I, I'd be buying Hogan right now, Chris Hogan, uh, even though he had the bad game to start. I, I feel like uh, they went deep to him several times. Um, there was just good coverage, I think, and they weren't it was just a little bit off the whole passing game. I think they're going to get that straightened out. And Danny, Danny Mandola is fine. Uh, PPR formats, uh, if he's active and healthy, he's uh, clearly going to produce, but he has not been able to stay healthy throughout his career, especially in the last few years. And so I don't have a whole lot of confidence that that's going, uh, he's going to play uh, 16 games or anything like that. Uh, Brandon cooks was a big part of the offense. He only had the three catches, but uh, 88 yards, seven targets uh, drew uh, a couple of pass interference penalties 
as well, setting up touchdowns. So he's he's obviously a huge part of the offense. But the guy that's going to hit the waiver wire this week after a bad outing is Hogan. And I'm still buying that because, uh, especially with Amadola now shaky uh, with a, with a concussion, he, he's had a couple concussions in his history. Uh, Hogan, you know, he led the team in snaps at, at receiver, ninety percent. Cooks at eighty three percent. Uh, Amendola was about 40%, but he, uh, he only played three quarters of the game. So you could expect, uh, him to play about 50 or 60% of the snaps on a typical, uh, typical day, uh, if he stayed healthy. And then Dorsett came in and played like 22% of the snaps. So if you add Amendola and, and Dorsett, that's about 62% of the snaps that Amendola probably would have played had he been able to stay healthy. All right, that'll do it for our Thursday night fantasy recap. Uh, In the second half of the podcast, we'll tell you about Odell Beckham, give you an update on him, discuss Ezekiel Elliott, who's going to play this week, and then John's going to give you some sneaky starts. First off, want to tell you about draft, though. Fantasy football fans, listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try these new best ball leagues on our new favorite app. It's called Draft. It's a season-long league, just like you play with your friends, but with no management You just set it. You forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. Draft takes care of all the hard work for you. You don't even have to set your lineup. The best score gets automatically selected every week. Pretty cool feature. You can draft a team anytime you want. League start every couple of minutes. You can join one right now. And here's the best part. There are no salary caps. You can play for cold, hard cash. League start from just $3. So uh, there's a league for everyone at draft. And it's easy to start playing today. Just go to playdraft.com backslash four for four that's playdraft.com the number four f-o-r and the number four and you can join a game in minutes all new players get free entry into our best ball draft when you make your first deposit you have to use our promo code it's four for four that's right play for real money for free just for using our promo code the number four f-o-r and the number four all right john odell beckham update he's still pretty much 50 50 to play on uh, Sunday night against the Giants, or against the Cowboys, excuse me. ESPN's Justina Anderson reports that Beckham is questionable to be a game-time decision, and it puts all fantasy owners in a real bind because they play on Sunday night. Yeah, he, he injured his ankle, I think, on the 21st of August, and it's being described as a mild high ankle sprain. Even mild high ankle sprains take longer than uh, a couple, three weeks to, to heal. So um, we're not even... Uh, getting close to a month yet of recovery, uh, for him. So, uh, if he does play, I think he's going to be limited. Uh, I, bo- I moved up, uh, Brandon, uh, Marshall and, uh, Sterling Shepard in, uh, in my rankings. I think, uh, you know, you look at what Sterling Shepard did last year as a rookie. He was number 36 receiver in PPR formats, uh, targeted in the red zone, uh, pretty significantly. And I would expect that sort of production if, if Beckham is out or limited, um, you're looking at Marshall then is the number one receiver theoretically, but he's, uh, no spring chicken. He's not nearly as good as Beckham. So, so Shepard might see, uh, more targets than he would have saw, uh, saw last year with Beckham in the lineup. So if Beckham's out, then look for big things from Shepard and, and Marshall. And then if Beckham's in, it's going to be a little dicier. Uh, but I still think, uh, Marshall and, and Shepard are good values. All right. Let's talk about Zeke Elliott. He's going to play week one against. Those giants who we just discussed. This was an interesting quote from Gabe Feldman because I think the question now becomes: Well, is he going to be? Is Elliot going to be available for week two? Is he going to serve his suspension after week one? So Gabe Feldman is the director of Tulane Sports Law Program, and he is the NFL Net legal analyst. This is what he had to say on, on Ezekiel Elliott. He said, "We learned that Zeke had a better chance 
I think most people uh, than, than most people anticipated. It's very rare for a judge to grant a temporary restraining order injunction, particularly to uh, interfere with an arbitration process and the league's internal investigation. But based on the questioning he asked, which was particularly hard on the league, wondering why they made certain decisions, raising some points that highlighted and really strengthened and affirmed some of the arguments that Zeke has made about the fundamental unfairness of the process. So he certainly seems to have a better shot than we anticipated. And here's the money money part of the quote. But it's still a long shot to get this injunction to get an order that would allow him to stay on the field after week one. Long story short, you might have Zeke for week one, John, but after that, it looks like he's going to start serving that six-game suspension. Yeah, I think, you know, as this was developing, I was, you know, watching these legal, legal sports legal analysts on Twitter, and most of them were saying that it, it was starting to look like he would get this restraining order and that, uh, or even an injunction, and then be able to fight this in court. Uh, which would allow him to play uh, play out the season because uh, if he does fight this in court and it's a typical court case, then uh, it's going to take a while uh, to wind its way through the court system. Um, but it seems like Feldman is on the negative side of that where it's still a long shot that the judge is going to actually uh, grant this temporary restraining order or an injunction. So uh, right now I have Elliot uh, projected for uh, six games missed. Um, I He's going to play week one. Uh, he would sit out uh, six games at that point and then come back for the stretch run. Uh, his stats or projections are still pretty high relative to the running back position just because he's, you know, a top three guy when he's fully healthy. Um, but I, I think if you're uh, an Elliott owner, you should be preparing uh, to, for him to miss. Uh, so that means if you can get Darren McFadden, who sort of lost some luster there with with uh, Elliott's momentum pointing uh, upward or his arrow pointing upward, uh, you might end up in some shallower leagues with uh, uh, McFadden on the waiver wire, and you can you can pick him up, or maybe you could grab grab him in a trade for for something pretty cheap, uh, because I think he's going to step in and, and be the be the starter there uh, for for Dallas with with Elliott sidelined. I'm still, I mean, I'm sure Elliott owners are still hopeful that he's going to be able to play, uh, but we'll find we should find out today. And by the time I'm talking, this might be this whole conversation might be moot if uh, if the judge has made his ruling. <laughs> All right, John, let's hand out some sneaky starts before we sign off today. Sam Bradford gets the New Orleans Saints on Monday night, and the Saints, as we know, they, their defense, they, they've they still got a long way to go before they're even somewhat decent. Uh, Sam Bradford's coming off a really underrated year a year ago, especially when you consider how bad that offensive line was for the Vikings. He's got a new running back in Dalvin Cook, who I think is a Rookie of the Year candidate, and they and the Vikings did try to upgrade that O-line. You like the matchup in Week 1? I think so. Uh, you look at what Bradford did in the nine games after Pat Shermer took over as the offensive coordinator, and he... Uh, Completed uh, uh, almost 75% of his passes for 271 yards, 1.3 touchdowns, 1.33 touchdowns per game. That's about 16 uh, fantasy points per game, which is a bit more than what Jameis Winston scored as the number 16 quarterback last year. Uh, you have the Saints coming in. Bradford has a healthy Stefan Diggs. He's got Adam Thielen. He's got Kyle Rudolph. He's got the weapon at running back now that you mentioned. The, the offensive line has improved. And more importantly, you have the, the New, uh, New Orleans defense, which has historically been bad. They, they did look better uh, in the preseason this year, but who knows if that's going to translate. Uh, if history is any uh, indicator, it's it's not. Uh, this should be a high-scoring game because New Orleans is also capable of scoring points on the Vikings. So I think this... Uh, uh, is a good spot for for Bradford. You could expect 
QB two numbers are a little bit better. Um, ultimately, that 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 matchup against the Saints just is what's driving this uh, sneaky start pick. All right, let's hand out uh, a running back here. I think it's fascinating how the Saints are going to use Adrian Peterson, Mark Ingram, and rookie Alvin Kamara this year. I I do the Saints profiles for four four dot com and. I, I knew that this was going to be a tricky situation until I get a chance to see how Sean Payton was going to use him. Uh, but you like Adrian Peterson in that that week one matchup against the Vikings and one other running back. Well, we'll get to the other running back in a second. Talk talk about Adrian Peterson first. Well, we could talk about them both because they both, I like them both for the same reason. It's this uh, hashtag old team theorem that I talk about on Twitter sometimes. Uh, Evan Silva ta- re- discusses it as a or uh, refers to it as a revenge game uh, scenario. But uh, anytime a, a team or player plays his old team, that just let him go, especially the first couple of matchups. Um, I, I tend to favor them. I think they have a better chance to, to find the end zone if you're running back. Uh, if you're a receiver, you're going to get a few extra targets because I think they're working harder. Uh, they're motivated to, to show up their old team, and the, the coaches uh, like to give their players a chance to seek revenge on, the, on their old team. So uh, I feel like Peterson and, and Lacey are both real good bets to find the end zone at least once uh, in these games. Lacey, uh, I like a, a little bit more keeping an eye on Thomas Rawls's ankle. Uh, he is practicing fully, but and listed as the starter. But I, I think Lacey will get a chance to uh, get a few extra carries. I don't think he has a huge game against the Packers, but uh, he certainly, if he gets going, could could really, you know a motivated Eddie Lacey is kind of a scary scary prospect. Uh, and then you know Peterson playing in front of his old fans, uh, you know against the Vikings. Uh, I, I feel like an, uh, an end zone is a distinct possibility for him as well. Uh, you know, even if this is a normal game, you know, you, you figure Peterson is the likely the goal line back, although they'll probably rotate, uh, you know, Mark Ingram in there and maybe John Kuhn, uh, who got re-signed there, uh, this week, uh, has a chance to vulture a touchdown as well, but I don't think that'll happen, uh, with, with Peterson playing against his old team. All right, let's talk about some wide receivers now. So we're talking about sneaky, sneaky starts this week for week one. And we'll stick with that same Saints-Vikings game because you also like Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn comes over from Carolina where he was used as a deep threat, and he's going to serve the same role in Sean Payton's offense opposite of Michael Thomas. He got a lot of play in preseason. We know what he is. He's a, he's a, he's a burner. Uh, but they do have a spot for that that role because Brandon Cooks is now in New England. And the other wide receiver that you like is Richard Matthews. Yeah, with Ginn, uh, you know, 30 games with the Panthers over the last two seasons, 3.3 catches for 50 yards, 0.47 touchdowns. He still has that world-class speed. Uh, those numbers are low-end fantasy wide receiver three numbers in PPR, which is, you know, PPR is not really his strong uh, format. He's stronger in uh, standard because of the, the high yards per catch and his propensity to score touchdowns. But, you know, Willie Sneed is out. Uh, the, t- the defense is going to be focused on stopping Michael Thomas, who was, was awesome last year. Uh, so again, should be able to take advantage. Uh, Brandon Coleman's also in a deeper league is also sort of intriguing. I have him, I think, ranked in the sixties. Um, but I, I like Jen, uh, again, more because, uh, he's just a good match with his speed, uh, a good match with Drew Brees' uh, deep ball accuracy. And I think, uh, Brees is going to look his way a few times. And if he can hold on to the ball, that's the trick. Uh, he should have a he should have a big game. I like him as a high upside, uh, semi risky but high upside play. I think with Snead out, he's not as risky uh, as he would be with Snead in there. But uh, Richard Matthews, Corey Davis is coming back from uh, hamstring. He's missed a lot of camp. Uh, they're talking. Uh, Mike Malark is talking about using him in certain situations. So it sounds like he'll be limited, maybe 50, 60, 70 percent of the snaps at most. Davis, uh, and that leaves uh, Matthews as 
Matthews and Decker as probably the, the two receivers that are on the field uh, in two wide receiver sets. Um, Marcus Mariota obviously has a, a history now with Matthews and, and he was a, he was a great uh, fantasy pickup uh, and producer last year uh, for, for the, for uh, Mariota and for the Titans. So I like him uh, this week in a pretty good matchup against the, 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 the Raiders. And then two tight ends that you like, C.J. Fedorowicz, who is recovering from a concussion. He participated fully uh, in practice recently. He's expected to be available for, against the Jaguars. And with Pro Bowl wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins and Deontay Foreman, who they drafted uh, this year, and, of course, Lamar Miller and Braxmill. And they got they got a lot of weapons there. Maybe C.J. Fedorowicz can do something against Jacksonville. And then you also like uh, Jared Cook, our old buddy. I feel like we talk, we talk about Jared Cook all the time on this podcast. Yeah, the Jared Cook thing is another revenge game, uh, old team theorem uh, matchup there with Tennessee. Um, I, 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 and he also is like one of these guys that in week one tends to have a good game. Uh, he didn't. <laughs> You're right about he, that. Did, he didn't do so again with the Packers. He had one catch at seven yards against uh, the Jaguars in week one last year. And I, I mentioned the same stat, but in the previously in previous four seasons. Uh, he posted uh, 500, or 500, five catches for eight, 85 yards and six targets against the Seahawks. He had four for 56 on eight targets against the Vikings the previous year in week one. He had seven for 141 and two touchdowns on 10 targets against the Cardinals uh, the previous year and four catches for 64 yards on six targets against the Patriots. So it seems like teams want to establish him as a weapon early in the season. Maybe defenses sort of forget about him. Uh, I know uh, Derek Carr is excited to have him. Uh, in the in the passing game, he had some good catches in the preseason. I think he is a uh, a good productive tight end when healthy, and that's the that's the key. He came on late last year for the Packers, had some big games in the the playoffs with Aaron Rodgers, and um, I feel you know he's a cheap option in DFS. Uh, he's probably available on the waiver wire if you're looking to stream the position. I think this is a good play, and then also uh, Fedorowicz uh, playing at home. Uh, Chris Raybon uh, has a stat, and I don't know it off the top of my head, but the uh, tight ends that play at home have a much higher chance of scoring touchdown than tight ends that play on the road. Uh, so this is, this is a it's a weird, yeah, I don't know. We're trying to figure out what the, what the causes of that, uh, but it's a kind of a long trend. Um, so maybe you could ask uh, Chris about that on Twitter, but uh, or maybe he's talking about it in the DFS MVP podcast. Uh, but Fedorowicz, I like because he did have. A pretty good season last year. He was number 17 tight end uh, all of last year, but he didn't really start to get starter snaps until week four. And then if you look at that week four on, he was number 12 tight end uh, the rest of the way. And this week, they're without Jalen Strong, who is suspended, I think. Uh, Will Fuller has the uh, uh, you know shoulder collarbone injury. Uh, so they're out. So there's just extra targets uh, available there, and there's not too many reliable um, weapons in the passing game there for Tom Savage. So I think, uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is pretty much a shoe in to get 10, uh, 10 targets, uh, or at least nine. Uh, and then Fedora might see seven or eight there as the, as the, as the second option in the passing game uh, against the Jaguars. So, uh, we'll see, but, um, you know, he's not a great talent or anything like that, but he's got a pretty big role, I think, in week one. Interesting. Great stuff, John. As always, you can follow John on Twitter at 444 underscore John. You can follow me as well at Anthony Stalter. Make sure you check out all of John's great rankings for week one and all the, the uh, profiles that 444 four, um, writers uh, do throughout the week. It's, it's always, it's always kind of gives you a good snapshot and how, you know, we think certain guys are going to fare in that matchup. And there's always excellent numbers available at 444.com. That's it for John Paulson and myself, Anthony Stalter. We'll see you on Monday for the next edition of the Most Accurate Podcast.